Thank you for choosing to listen to episode number 43 of Kansas City Food Memories. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Joel Nichols, who was one of the co-hosts of the first morning news show in Kansas City back in the 80s. A lot of great stories. Now remember three things here. Number one, this is a taped presentation of a live radio show, so do not call or text in when prompted during the show. Second, if you want to catch this show live, we're every Saturday at 10 a.m., usually at 98.1 FM. But if we're preempted by football, you can go join us on Facebook Live. Go to makethemsmile.com, and uh, you can find out where exactly we are. And third, and most important, is if you like this show, be sure to support Best Regards Bakery and Cafe because there are no commercials because I'm paying for this out of my own pocket. Thank you. Sit back and enjoy. This is Robert Dunsing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories where we talk about the people, the places, and the food that make Kansas City such a great place to live. I'm real excited about today's guest. He's made a career of making people smile and brightening their day. And I believe that this has really what um, set the tone for Kansas City. Because it's, we all talk about how what we have here doesn't really exist in other cities. And I've had this conversation with Jasper and a lot of other people. And why do you think we have this personality we have here in the city. And I think a big part of it is because of a couple of guests I've had on and Joel Nichols included. And uh, Joel, Joel, thank you for coming to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks and for I, including me in that group. Well, you're very I, kind. I know you're not comfortable hearing that. No. And, and I'll be honest, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you a couple, I, I broke one of my cardinal rules and as I don't really talk to guests before they're on the air, but right. there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about beforehand just to kind of so you understand where I'm coming from. But I had Fred Broski on my show a couple months ago, and he was really interesting. And it's um, and he, I asked him if he understood how much people appreciate what he did, and he goes, heavens no. He goes, I had a good run. I did a lot of fun stuff, but my time has passed, and I don't really – he didn't really view what he did as being that groundbreaking or having that much of an impact. But when he started doing that, he was really, I think, one of the first – weather personalities in Kansas City. Absolutely. And, you know, when he did Bowling for Dollars, that was at the time, that was before I came to Kansas City, but that was one of the biggest things in, in television. You bet. And he was just a great personality, and he touched so many lives. And, Joel, that's, that's I got to tell you, and, and, and I'll apologize. No, I'm not going to apologize for making you uncomfortable. <laughs> but, but you were part uh, of one of the first, uh, was it the first morning show? Morning right. news yeah, show first in Kansas news. City. We were the first ones on the air to do a full half hour, and then it just expanded from there. Yeah, I mean that was that was a early. Had that been done in a lot of other bigger markets? I think it had been done in some bigger markets. Our news director here is uh, said, "Well, I think it can work in Kansas City," and he already had the wonderful, amazing Marie Antonia there as a news reporter, mm-hmm. and she was doing morning cut-ins during uh, Good Morning America. But uh, it was really his idea to try to do this half-hour morning news. Uh, so we used to go on at 6.30 in the morning, and it was uh, the first one, I believe, in the – it was a Hearst uh, broadcasting. I think it was the first one in that company to do it. I may be wrong about that, but it was certainly the most successful one out of the gate. Mm-hmm. We were lucky. We were the first one in town, I think, to do it, and that helped a lot. Well, it makes a big difference to a city to be able to have that, where you talk about what's going on here. Yeah. Instead of talking about national news and, and telling us what we're supposed to think, like what so much of radio talk shows and, and news has become. Yeah. It's, you're entertaining, and, and it's... Um, when do you think uh, Willard Scott started 
at NBC. You know what? I'm. I think Willard may, may have been on already when we started, but right. he was like, uh, I would say in in the early '80s, maybe that he really took mm-hmm. over that position, yeah. something like that. You know, and it's funny you mentioned uh, Fred Brosky. When I started in television, I was doing feature stories in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to college, and the uh, general manager of this station up there said, we need a weekend weather person. Could you do weekend weather? And I said, well, I am not a meteorologist. I didn't study weather. So, you know, you get what you're asking for here. And she said, uh, that's okay. You grew up around here. I grew up in Wisconsin. You grew up around here. And so, you know, you can learn the weather part. I just need somebody who can communicate it. Right. And I said, okay, I'll try. So I started doing weather there on the weekends. And our main weather guy was a guy named Elmer Childress, who actually was a gospel singer from Wichita, who had moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and became the most popular on-air personality. He, too, was not a meteorologist. He was a, a broadcaster who happened to do weather. So that's kind of how I started doing weather. And so when I came here, you know, Maria is a true journalist, and I was just kind of this guy that did stuff on television. And so I started doing weather here. Um, but I was I sort of slipped in under the wire because... Uh, I might have been one of the last people hired to do weather that didn't have an AMS seal and mm-hmm. have a degree in meteorology. And Broski was another guy like that, and Dan Henry was another guy like that. And so when Dan retired, um, I called him, and I said, congratulations. Da, 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 da. He said, it's just you and Fred now. You're the last two kind of old-fashioned mm-hmm. weather people. And then when Fred retired, I called him. I think I had him on a show that I was doing, and uh, he said, you're it. You're the last kind of old school uh, weatherman, as they used to call it. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of a different time. Now there's much more of a scientific bent to all of it. Uh, but in those days, it really was a matter of communicating what you knew, whether you're doing weather or a kid's show like I used to do or anything else, just a matter of communicating. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning. Part of what makes Kansas City, I think, special is we had an awful lot of people over the course of our public communication history in this town like Brosky and like Mike Murphy and like uh, Bill Grigsby and others who just communicated. They just talked. Right. And that brought everybody in and you felt like you're part of something. Yeah. Did, uh, did you ever meet Mike Murphy? Yeah. Yeah. We had a great time together. Well, you know, it's um, the, the only thing we talk about more than Mike Murphy on this show is probably fried chicken. <laughs> But it's well, so Murphy I, would be happy to hear that. Yeah. Well, so I moved to Kansas City roughly the same time. I moved to, uh, to Kansas City in '86, and I fell in love with Kansas City because of Mike Murphy. Yeah. And it's I I have one rule on my show because it's it's kind of wide open. It's not just people that owned a rolled restaurant because it's about it's about memories and the food and the people. But if somebody had been on Mike Murphy's show more than two or three times, they're welcome to be on this show. <laughs> so I had Roger uh, Peugeot, the, Roger the Plumber. Roger the Plumber, sure. Yeah, he's been on my show, and I've had a couple other people. Yeah, no, that, he, you know, Murphy, I first met him, I was very new to the market, just barely here, and uh, we were out at what used to be called Sandstone, Right, and we were it's going still to, sandstone. To most, It'll always be sandstone, people, yeah. yeah. And so we were introducing uh, he on behalf of his radio station, and me on behalf of Channel Nine. We were introducing Ray Charles and Al Green. That was the act. Okay. And so I got there. My wife and I got there, and, and uh, we didn't have kids at the time or anything. And I went backstage, and I meet Mike Murphy, and he's got this gig- this bright purple sweater on. <laughs> I mean, it just and he could not have been nicer to a kid who didn't know what he was doing, and. Uh, 
he said, oh, I'm so tired. He said, I don't think I'm going to stay for the concert. And we went out and introduced everybody. And sure enough, he skedaddled <laughs> and went home. We stayed and watched the concert. But uh, he just, when he walked out on that stage, the people just, you could feel the love for this guy. And uh, over the years, I would do the, um, we did some radiothons and things like that. And I had him on my little show on TV. And uh, uh, just really a really good guy. And I, I just, I, I love to be around him and we had fun when we were together. We weren't, you know, we didn't pal around a lot, but when we were together, we yeah. had a lot of, we had a great time. Oh, he was amazing. It's just, and I, he listening to his show every day basically gave me a crash course on what it means to be in Kansas city. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, and I, it's influenced me to this day. Yeah. I mean, the way I do the show is more conversational like he did. You know, he had, you never knew what his politics were. I mean, because it didn't matter. Right. You know, and as long as you you could be anybody and as long as you were kind to other people and could carry on a decent conversation and wasn't didn't have a, a cruel streak or anything like that, you were game. Right. I, I, he would have uh, John McCain on, you know, and then the, the next segment he might have Tiny Tim on. Yeah. But it was, I, I, there were times when it started, a, why is this guy on the show? Then within 15 minutes you find out why. You yeah. know, that's no, he could talk to anybody and he was... Uh, you know, fun and gregarious on the air, and at least I found him to be a rather serious man off the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people the same, heard the same thing. So, all right, so let's check a box over here. So you moved here roughly the same time I did. Yep. Do you remember what was the first Kansas City restaurant that you ate at that that you still remember today? The first Kansas City restaurant. Well, this is. It may not be the very first one, but it's the one that made an impact on uh, my wife and myself. Was KC Masterpiece. Okay. Yep, uh, and and I do understand that in the pantheon of of barbecue places that they don't always rank as high as you know uh, Gates and and Arthur Bryant and Jack Stack and the rest. I, I get that, but for us coming from Wisconsin, right, um, we went there to eat because it was close to where there was one close to where we lived, and uh, the main reason we went there is because I had the opportunity to to meet Dr. Davis, Rich Davis, mm-hmm. early on who, again, was this amazing, wonderful yep. man. And he had said, you know, come and eat, come, come and have some burnt ends. We didn't know what burnt ends were. Right. We're from Wisconsin. You know, give us a brat and we're set. But have some burnt ends. So we went and my wife fell in love with burnt ends and she fell in love with barbecue. And I was mostly just in love with Dr. Davis because I thought he was such a great guy. Uh, he was the kind of guy that um, when Maria and I were on the air, uh, our, when my oldest son was born... He had some health difficulties, and so I thought I was doing a pretty good job of disguising that on the air, but it, clearly I wasn't. And one day he called Maria. He didn't call me. He called Maria privately and said, is Joel okay? Everything okay with him? Because I can tell something's bothering him. And I just, I thought, what an amazing thing. You know, yeah. he's, he's sitting at home in his kitchen on, in the morning, and number one, that he would care. And number two, that he could kind of diagnose from a distance, oh yeah, something's going on here. So... Uh, that's probably the first place we ate as a couple that's really got a Kansas City root that we uh, that we really, really liked. And while it was out there at 435 and Metcalf, I yep. think, yep. Uh, we, you know, we would go there every now and then because she really, Jessica, loved the burnt ends, and uh, I love Dr. Davis. Well, that was transformative because that was a big step in the barbecue scene here because yeah. I think he was the first one to take the barbecue concept and, and uplift it from just a dive to an actual restaurant with with cloth napkins. Yeah. 
yeah. and that that businesses, business people, and out of town people could come in and actually have enjoy barbecue in a nicer setting. You know, and, he, and then he, you could find it on the store shelf. Oh I, yeah, we could say to our family in other parts of the country, "Hey, th- we kind of know that guy. You yep. know, he's a great guy." And he took it to the White House. He took the Kansas City barbecue a lot of places. Yeah. That now we may sort of take for granted because Kansas City barbecue is everywhere, but he may have been you know the guy that pushed it. Yeah, it, it, the uh, the other restaurant that a lot of people think of in that along the same vein was um, Hayward's Barbecue. Oh yeah, I loved uh, Hayward Spears, and, it, and it's really the same thing because Hayward was always up in the either in the bar, or the restaurant, there yeah. to talk to you. And I I interviewed him uh, years and years ago, and. I told him our second oldest son is our barbecue fan, and he love when he comes home. He always has to find his barbecue. Right. Um, and when he was a little boy, his favorite was Hayward's. That's where he wanted to go, and that was because uh, Mr. Spears said, "Bring the family sometime," and we did. And Taylor, our second son, fell in love with that, and uh, so he was just. And what a fascinating story! And that man's personal story is inspiring on every level you can imagine. Really. Yeah, Hayward, yeah. He had a, and I may mis- be misremembering, but he had a cleaning business. Okay. And that kind of set the stage for building this restaurant business. And, uh, you know, for a, a man of his time, a man of color of his time, you know, he faced a lot of things that other people might not face, and he, and he did it. Well, we did a show talking about Hayward Spears, but I don't think we really even tapped it. Yeah, you know, you'd have to do a series. Yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, you and I will talk afterwards because it's, an important thing to me that on this show is to honor the people that made Kansas City what it is and to keep their memories alive. Yeah. You know, I told you a brief story about uh, some listeners that come in, what they tell me about how this show has transformed their life and it brings back memories that they hadn't thought of for 30, 40 years. Right. And it brings them alive. Well, and we, as before we started, when you broke your own rule, yeah. you know, and talked to me beforehand. Thank you for bringing that up. I uh, See, you broke it. <laughs> you went out of turn. But I, I quoted, I misquoted, badly quoted this idea when you talked about this uh, listener who mm-hmm. said you have reinvigorated them, really, mm-hmm. and made he and his friends go, wait, we've got maybe the best is yet to come, and it's just not all downhill from here. Yeah. Uh, but this is the actual quote that I tried to quote to you earlier, and it's from a guy named David Eagleman, who's a, a neurophysicist. He said, there are three deaths. The first is when the body ceases to function. The second is when the body is consigned to the grave. And the third is that moment sometime in the future when your name is spoken for the last time. And so as long as we keep speaking these names and yep. talking about these places, we're keeping it alive. And th- that's the essence of this show and why I've expanded beyond just restaurants, because restaurants are not just the food or the dish that you happen to get in a building that happened to used to exist. It's the people and the stories that go around it. Yeah. And that's and that's what... I I so enjoy. I mean, just I, I didn't think it was possible. I love Kansas City even more after doing this show. Well, and it's a wonderful thing that you're doing for people. The another um, restaurant that we went to a few times because KMBC used to be downtown in what is now the Kirk Family YMCA, but that's where the used to be the Folly Theater, or no, it used to be the Lyric Theater, and that's where it used to be. And uh, a lot of people before downtown reignited itself the last few years. Um, Italian Gardens was a place that you could eat downtown, one mm-hmm. of the few places, really. Um, and so every now and then when the kids would be, when they were little and they would be at the station, we would go there and Carl DeCapo would make sure they got ice cream and stuff like that. So that is another place. But I got to tell you a restaurant-related story that I think is kind of funny. In the space that was Casey Masterpiece, um, I believe, 
I believe Casey Masterpiece was gone, and there, Dick Clark came to town. Oh, yeah. I got kicked out of there once. Uh, oh, did you really? Yeah. I wasn't dressed nice. No, I wasn't 26 years old yet. Really? Yeah. Why it, did you get kicked out for not being 26? That, that was the rule. Really? Yeah, they said it set the wrong vibe to have people that were too young in there. In anyway, the Amer- go ahead with in your In the American story. Bandstand restaurant? Yes. Yep. Weird. So anyway, he had just opened this American Bandstand Bar and Grill or whatever it was called. And he came to Kansas City to open it and promote it. And uh, he came down to Channel 9 and did my little talk show. And uh, it was a very pleasant half hour. We had a good time together. He, you know, he was a great guest. You know, he all had great stories and it was fun. Um, and when we got done... This is in the days before cell phones. He said, uh, can I borrow a phone? I got to call a cab. And I said, well, I live out toward where your restaurant is. I can give you a ride out there. Fully expecting Dick Clark, who doesn't know me from Adam, to say, nah, no, that's okay. I'll take a cab. <laughs> and this was just in the, the immediate wake after I think Forbes magazine had named him one of the most wealthy entertainers. I think at the time they said he was worth a half a billion dollars, which may not sound like much in this Taylor Swift oh, era, yeah. but it, it, then a half a billion was like, holy mackerel. So uh, one of the richest men in show business. So anyway, I, he says, sure, I'll take a ride. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you want to take a ride? It's okay. So we go out to our family minivan, which I'm driving, and it's got toys and car seats in it. And I make a space for him and he sits down and I drive him out to his restaurant. And, uh, and he was very pleasant and very nice, and this is not meant to demean him in any way. But we uh, we get out there, and I jokingly said, well, if this was a cab ride, you'd have to give me a tip or something, right? So <laughs> am I going to get a tip? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. If you come into the restaurant, uh, I'll give you a free order of fries. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, this is why he's rich. Yeah. Because he took the free ride, yeah. and he's going to give me some fries if I come in. So then that night, I went home, and I told Jessica about it, and uh, – I don't know if we had three or four kids by that time, but I said, why don't we go over there and eat? I said, it looks like a fun place. We'll go over here. So we went over that night, uh, and we sit down at the table, and he and his wife were both there because it was like the opening weekend. And he came out and greeted them, and he was very pleasant, and he said, you know, it was very nice to meet all of you, and, you know, Joel, good to see you again, and uh, thanks again for the ride, and don't forget you get some fries out of this. And he walks away, and I'm kind of chuckling about the fries. And his wife, Carrie, who was as nice a person as there was, came over and whispered, we'll pay for the whole meal, just don't tell him. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, this is why he's successful and rich. Because <laughs> he's got a good wife behind him. Well, his wife is, does up. that part, but he also, he's, you know, he, yeah. this is why he's got the money. He keeps the money. <laughs> but it was, uh, he was just a great, wonderful person, but, I mean, he knew how to make a billion dollars, half oh, a billion. Oh, that's funny. Hey, um, Sam, are you in there? All right, Sam, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. Just um, if there's anybody out there who has a good story about Joel Nichols over the years, Uh-oh. you're welcome to call in. I've got a bunch of other things I want to ask Joel, but I want to go ahead and open that up. Also, the text line is open, so the phone number is 913-586-7798. I don't know if we'll get many calls because I've had shows in the past where people would come to my restaurant and say, you know what, I didn't want to call because I didn't want to interrupt oh. the conversation. Uh. Because that's, that's what we're having. We're just having, a, as Jack Jack Parr said, you know, don't interview somebody, just have conversations. Exactly. And that's why I don't really look things up. But I made, so I made a second exception with you. I actually went online to do a little bit of research because I couldn't really describe the why. I knew that you were a big influence on me as far as setting the tone for how I looked at Kansas City because of how much you never took yourself too seriously but the number one priority is for you to have fun 
and to and to brighten other people's day in the morning. And it's like I think I would guess that you took very seriously your role in setting the tone for people's day. Well, uh, when I was hired at Channel 9 to do the weather in the morning with Maria, um, the news director, a guy named Brian Bracco, his idea was a lot of what you just described, that the morning, a morning newscast should be, have a different feel than the 10 o'clock news. It should be a little softer and more and friendly, still cover the news, give people the information, but allow them into your life a little bit. You know, you can talk about your kids, you can talk about the dog, you can right. do stuff like that. And uh, also, I had been doing feature stories for a show called PM Magazine, which some people may remember PM Magazine used to be on all over the country and every every little market had its own version and so in madison wisconsin i would do feature stories nothing serious i didn't do serious journalism with a capital j i just did feature stories and he said and that'll be the other part of your job you'll do uh, the mornings with maria and then you'll go do a feature story and he said do whatever you want have fun and if you go too far i'll tell you well that went too far <laughs> so the first one of the first weeks i had a, to do stories it was an incredibly hot June week in Kansas City, one of the hottest on record at that time. And he said, go out and do a bunch of stories about hot weather jobs. And I said, okay. So I did like what it was like to work in a dry cleaner, what it was like to put a roof on a, a building in this hot, hot weather. And so for the last story of the week, the Friday story, I said to the ph photographer I was working with, I said, here's what I want to do. This is the last story. Um, and I'm going to have my nice little three-piece suit on, but I'm going to jump into a pool at the end of this story. And this photographer, who was used to doing fires and car accidents and bad news, said, no, you're not. That's stupid. You're not going to jump into a pool. That is just, I said, no, no, it'll be okay. He said, no, I'm not going to shoot that. And I said, just do me a favor, shoot it, and I'll edit it together. And if, if our news director doesn't like it, it's all on me. I'll take the heat. It's fine. So, I, and he wasn't the photographer who I loved uh, and was a great guy, but he did not want to shoot this. But he did. So I get to the end of the this story, and I say, any way you can find a way to cool off, yada, yada, yada. And I jump in the pool with my suit on. Um, so that's been uh, almost 40 years ago. To this day, I have people come up to me and say, oh, you're the guy that jumped in the pool with your suit on. <laughs> well, so anyway, the show, the story airs, uh, and the news director loved it. He said, that's exactly what I want. We have to have a little fun sometimes. It has to be fun. And he went to the photographer and said, that was great that you shot that. That was, you know, that was a good idea. So every story I shot with that guy afterwards, he said, well, we could put you in that tree. That'd be stupid. We could put you over there. <laughs> he was trying to find ways to do that again. So I, I uh, really, I, I only did one serious, really serious story in all the years I did it. And uh, that was the day that many people in Kansas City will remember when the firefighters were killed in the explosion mm, out on the south side. Oh, my side. gosh. And all of us, of course, did serious stories that right. day. But other than that one sad, tragic day... I mostly did stories that were supposed to either make people laugh or smile or uh, get a little breather from the bad news, or even if they looked at it and said, what a dummy. At least they yeah. said that. Yeah, as long <laughs> as they're talking about you. All right, so when I was online, I found a picture of you with John Amos. Yeah. I mean, that. What was he like? A tremendous man and uh, fascinating. And his story about when he was with the Chiefs and he wanted to read a poem to the team and Hank Stram gave him permission to read this poem. Uh, and after it was over, I think Hank Stram went to him and said, you are an artist. You're not a football player. You're, you're this other person. And that was sort of his impetus to go on and become one of the great actors of any generation. But he was as nice and warm and friendly a person as I, I probably ever interviewed. Mm. You know, there's certain people that 
you could tell are just famous for whatever reason, but there's some people that just have that aura, that 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 it factor to them just when you hear him talk. And he yeah. was he was one of those people oh, absolutely. that. And I don't know that I've never. I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever going to do an hour show talking about him or anything like that. But he seems incredibly interesting. That yeah. I think would be worthy. Of something and you know, like and that. he left good. He was on Good Times, of course, which everybody right. would remember him from. Um, but and that was a big show. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean like ratings wise. I mean that was an important show. Right. And he walked away from it because he felt that it be it was supposed to be this story of this family, and mm-hmm. he felt it had become too much a story of just the one character, right? JJ. Jimmy Walker. Yeah. yeah. And so he walked away from it. So it takes a a level of integrity to say this is a yeah. steady, really good paycheck, but I'm going to walk away because yeah. I believe it should be something yeah. else. That's that. That's admirable. Yeah. Did you interview anybody that you felt like was just so far out of your league that you were just intimidated or everybody's out of my league man you're oh, out of my league oh no give me a um, break the uh, i thought we moved beyond no, that no no i'm still wallowing <laughs> um but uh, um i never was intimidated by anybody i i was always there were people that i was really excited to meet and uh, had fun talking to um yeah, i'm trying to think if anybody kind of i don't know that i ever felt really intimidated yeah. i think i would have felt some intimidation factor if I had talked to like a Johnny Carson yeah, or somebody that I had grown up watching. And, and the closest that I can come to a Johnny Carson story, uh, I, I did interview Doc Emerson several times. Okay. But it, I wasn't intimidated by him because he was such a nice guy. I mean, the minute you meet him, you feel like you've known him forever. So it isn't that I felt I was in their league, but they just made me feel so comfortable. Um, but Steve Allen uh, came to town. And for a lot of... People nowadays, Steve Allen's name may not mean too much, but without Steve Allen, you wouldn't have The Tonight Show and right. a lot of other things. So he came to town to promote a book. He wrote a lot of books in his life. And I happened to, this is how things happen. I walked out of Channel 9 one day, and on the uh, telephone pole, there was a poster that had been stapled there saying, uh, book club, book fair, Steve Allen will be here to talk about his new book. And I thought, I wonder if that's the Steve Allen. And uh, so I, I called, I somehow got his phone number of his office in Hollywood and I called it and a very nice real live woman answered and I said Mr. Allen's coming to Kansas City and she said yes he is I said well would he be interested in doing my little rinky dink talk show and she said well uh, let me look at his schedule and she kind of looked at it and she said if you can pick him up if you can have him picked up at the air at the uh, hotel and take him to your tv station he'll do it and so we I said great well there's no budget on my show I'm the I'm the uh, limo driver. <laughs> so I get in my little Ford, uh, little silver Ford Escort that has kids stuff in it again because I have two kids by that time. And I leave the station after the morning news and I drive over to the hotel where Steve Allen's staying. And I'm standing in the lobby and the the uh, elevator doors open and there's Steve Allen. And he was a rather tall, big guy. And he had this big winter coat on because it was November. And I'm, I, that would, maybe I was a little intimidated at that moment to see Steve Allen. Yeah. Because for me, that was like, wow, this is like talk show God right here. And he's, I said, Mr. Allen, I'm here to take you to your TV interview. And he said, great, let's, let's go outside. So we walk out and I know he's looking around for a town car or something. <laughs> and I walk up to my little silver escort and I open the door for him and he looks at me and he looks at the car and I said, this is it. And so he gets in and as he gets in, we both hear this sound and i'm thinking uh oh what did a tv icon just break wind in my car that would be quite an amazing thing (laughs) 
But uh, and he heard it too. But neither of us said anything. We're thinking, what is that sound? We drive over to the TV station. He gets out. He had sat on one of my kids' toys, <laughs> and it had made this whoopee cushion sound. And so that's what he did. And he so he's already a little bit like he he sat on this toy. He's in this little rinky-dink car, and he said, "Are you the same person that'll be picking me up for my next interview?" And that's when I had to break it to him that, well, actually, I'm doing the interview, <laughs> which I don't think fostered any great confidence yeah. in him. Uh, but we went in, and he ended up, instead of doing a half hour, he we got done with our half hour. He said, let's do another half hour. So we did an hour. Oh. And uh, we had just a great time. We, there used to be a, or a camera operator named Betty, Betty Zeke, at Channel 9. And she every person I ever interviewed, she would give them a hug. And he was so nice to her. And I judged a lot of famous people by how they treated Betty and yep. he was as nice as he could be to her and gave her a big hug and talked to her about all kinds of things. So oh. he was, um, you know, that was an amazing thing to meet him. Okay. Okay. Now there's probably, a, I have at least a hundred listeners out there and half of them are saying, who is this guest? So this is Joel Nichols is my special guest today on today's show. And I, I think most people probably recognize your voice. So for the people that were kind enough to text in, thank you very much for the hints. So here's the deal. So this, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a professional radio person. This is just um, a personal in indulgence that my wife lets me do. <laughs> I buy the airtime every week to start off to talk about food memories and also to find interesting people and just carry on with conversations. The drawback, what makes this so awkward is that I do not have commercials. So I don't have commercial breaks and on, reg on real radio shows, they have commercial breaks. When you come back, you reintroduce the guest. Right. But what we do is we sit here, we're just, you and I are talking and we don't even realize that we're already half an hour into the show. So I don't have, um, I don't, I, I have not yet developed the skill to bring up uh, the breaks. So for all the <laughs> listeners out there, this is Joel Nichols. The phone lines are open. It's at 913-586-7798. That's also the text line. So if you'd rather just text in something for me to ask Joel about, you're welcome to do that. So if you'd like to call again, the number is 913-586-7798. That is the, the text line for this radio station, 98.1. I want to make this really simple. If you want to see this program continue, come out and support Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. We're in 119th and Glenwood. And um, you might want to start off by signing up for our email newsletter at makethemsmile.com. Again, I don't want to waste time talking about us, but go to makethemsmile.com. That's the website for the bakery. And there's also an email newsletter sign up. Real quickly, uh, we have five scratch-made soups that we make every day available to dine in or by the court to go. And our Thanksgiving orders will go online next week. So our regular customers are actually awaiting that. For the dinner rolls, our famous sugar cookie, cinnamon rolls, cannoli, and even more. So just go to makethemsmile.com. And so that way, I want to cut it short so I can get back to my special guest, Joel Nichols. I looked at your website. It all looks delicious. Oh, it, it's, well, you know, it, it's, I've been inspired by all these people that have an amazing restaurants. And it's something that the, the restaurants that we remember from 30, 40, 50 years ago were not national chains. Right. They were restaurants that had the owner that were still there. You know, we've had good food before, but if the owner's not involved, you don't have great ambiance, you don't have that personal connection, you don't remember it. Right. And that's well, what, and, you know, and that it's what I'm sure makes Best Regards special, and our mutual friend Jasper it makes mm -hmm. that special. Oh, absolutely. Because Jasper yeah. is, is, not only is the food great, obviously, uh, the atmosphere is wonderful, but the idea that Jasper is there. 
makes such a difference. It, it, yeah, the, he has the rule of always a Jasper in the house yep. or a Mirabli in the house. Yeah, always a Mirabli in the house. Yep, right? he always does. And we, we, we believe strongly in that because we have that connection. Yeah. And it's just the, the other thing I love about Jasper, he loves Kansas City. Yeah, he really does. And, that's, and he, he gets it, you know, what we have here in Kansas City is special. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's he's a he's a treasure. He really, is. yeah, it really is. All right. So uh, when I was also digging through the photos, I found a picture. You look like you're about 14 years old. That's when the the crew the, from Good Morning America came. Yeah. And so, what was it like for you to be there among these national? So I think that was up at the Liberty Memorial, and I think it was Charlie Gibson and uh, yep. Joan London probably, and Spencer Christian. Yep. Uh, at those were those years, I think. And um, Maria and I were very fortunate in that we had a, our, our first news program at the time was the number one morning show in town. And we had, uh, and our news director would call us sometimes on a, on a Friday and say, we're ta- okay, I know you're going out at 6.30 in the morning. We're going to start going out at 6 in the morning. And we'd both go, oh, no, you don't want to do that. Oh, no, there's an audience there. Oh, we're going to go out at 5.30 in the morning. And he was always right. There was always an audience in the morning. We never knew it, but there was always an audience. And Good Morning America was... Um, also doing very well at the time. And I, I think they were taking a tour of cities, and we just happened to be on the list. And so Maria and I went down and did our show from there, and then they did their show or parts of their show from there. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting to see how the national guys were doing what they were doing, the men and women that put that on the air. But of those people, the one that I had the best connection with was Spencer Christian, who was their weather person. And he came and did my little talk show at Channel 9, uh, which was called Afterwards, and uh, we also did a, a promo about weather. And so it was Brian Busby and Spencer Christian and I, and we were going to do a promo where I would say, join us on First News for, you know, the very latest Kansas City weather, and then, and then Spencer would say, and then, good morning, America, for your nation's weather, and then Brian would say, and then be back at 5, 6, and 10. So it was all scripted, and we did it. But uh, Spencer Christian and Brian Busby both have such a great sense of humor um, and are funny people. And then I'm, uh, I'm not a good person. And so I make a point of making, trying to, to screw things up. I can do it without trying very hard. <laughs> so we had a lot of outtakes. We had just a, a ton of places where they were laughing or we were all laughing. And the promotions person at the time was a brilliant young man named Steve Rivera, who now is the co-owner of Tomstown, uh, in Kansas Distillery. City. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Steve said, you know what? The outtakes are funnier than the promo, are better than the promo. So he made an, a promo just with our outtakes of laughing and having fun. goes back to what you said before, trying to bring a little lightness to people's lives. And he put this thing together, and uh, it was just the most fun. And Spencer Christian is one of the people that, over the years, I don't know how many shows I did, how many uh, interview shows I did, but we were on the air on Channel 9 for probably 15, maybe close to 15 years with my little talk show, and then I did another five years of it on Channel 41. And Spencer Christian was one of the very few people who two or three days later made a point of calling me from wherever he was and saying, thanks, that was fun to be on. Oh. So I have, he, I think he still is on the air in San Francisco, but he was of that picture, just a really, he stands out. Isn't it amazing how something uh, a gesture like that can make have such an impact yeah. on you? It felt so good yeah. that he you made the point of calling and you know saying, "Hey, that was fun. You know, hope to see you again when we come back to town." It was just really great. Yeah. But again, uh, like I say, the guy that made the promo was Steve Rivera, who's a brilliant person and has gone on to make Tomstown Distillery just this wonder. My daughter had her wedding reception there, 
And talking about Kansas City restaurants and places to eat and, and drink, that's a great one. People have to go to that one. Mm. So there's my plug for Steve. Well, there you go. All right. Joel Nichols, my special guest today. I have, tell me and tell the listeners to the show, why in the world did Frank Sinatra send you a thank you note? I, that's a nice, that's, thank you for bringing that up. That's a, when I was a kid in high school, I had to do an extra, extra credit, they used to call it, do an extra credit project. And we had an, what would be considered a very antiquated audiovisual department. Uh, and there was a woman named Mrs. Beerman who ran the audiovisual department back when it was just big old clunky tapes. And it was just nothing like people think of today when they edit online and all that good stuff. But uh, I said, hey, let's do a documentary about Frank Sinatra. Because ever since I had been a little kid, I had really liked Sinatra. Um, and my dad had a radio station that used to play a lot of Sinatra. So I, I said, let's do this documentary. So we put together like a 90-minute documentary about Frank Sinatra, and this would have been 1977, something like that. And uh, we get done, and nobody's ever going to watch it. We just did it, Mrs. Bierman and I just did it as this extra credit project. But we had an extra, uh, two big clunky tapes, an extra documentary of it. And I said, I'm going to send this to him just for fun. Nothing will come of it, but it'll be fun. So I go to the post office, and I wrap, get these two big clunky tapes, and that probably cost me an arm and a leg of my... 15-year-old body to, to do it, but I sent it off to his office in Hollywood and didn't expect to hear much. And then all of a sudden in the mail, a month later or two months later, I get this thank you note uh, from him. You know, please, thank you so much for the time you took. On, now, I don't have any illusions that he watched it. I'm sure right. he didn't. But he said, thank you so much for the time you took putting the, together this documentary. And please thank Mrs. Bierman. He made a point of thanking her. Yeah. Uh, and Frank signed Frank Sinatra. And um, my brothers, I have three older brothers, and one of them said, let me see that. That can't be real. And he looked at it, and sure enough, there was like a little typo that had been corrected. So, I mean, it was it was typically yeah. old-fashioned yeah. way, but it, you could see where they had had to correct that little typo. And then his signature was written. It oh. was his signature. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I have that up on the wall somewhere. That it, was your first official celebrity contact, wasn't that it? That might have been. That set you off on your career. Yeah, from Sinatra. And so then the local, the Madison, Wisconsin newspaper, I grew up in a little town outside of Madison, but the Madison, Wisconsin newspaper, Mrs. Bierman, my teacher or my advisor, said, hey, this kid did this documentary and he got a note from Sinatra. And so they did a newspaper thing about it and had me looking like a dork with my Sinatra <laughs> stuff all around me. Uh and that was before I had ever seen Sinatra in person. And then I ended up being able to see him live, I guess, four times. And um, the last one being here in Kansas City. Um, but one of the times, in, I saw him in Las Vegas. I lived there for a little while. And uh, a friend of mine was in town. And I said, Sinatra's at Caesar's Palace. Let's go see if we can actually get backstage. And so we were both like 19 years old. And so we go to Caesar's Palace. And we we're all dressed up. And we're trying to look older than we are. And we walk through the kitchen. Nobody stops us. We get backstage. Nobody stopped us yet. We're thinking, this is pretty cool. We're going to meet Sinatra <laughs> backstage. And the security guard's looking at us like, these, what are these guys? But he's not bothering us. And it's very quiet backstage, and we're just waiting there. And then we hear a commotion, and we hear talking and people talking. And I swear to this day that one of the voices was Sinatra asking about, when's this going to happen? How's this going to be this way? And I'm thinking, we're going to meet him backstage at Caesar's Palace. And at that moment, the security guard came over and said, okay, boys, now you got to go. <laughs> and so we turned around and walked back out of the kitchen kind of mopey. But it's as close as I came to meeting him in person was being, you know, told to get get the heck out of the stage. Well, you know, one of the funny and 
one of the amazing things about this show is how many dots we've connected over the, the, the many episodes or weeks that we've done this. So I just got a text from Jim Eddy. Yeah. He said to tell you hello. Hello to him. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's been on my show, I think, three or four times. Yeah, yeah. The first time he was on, Marilyn May called in. Yeah, you told me. talked for half great. an hour, which Wonderful. is crazy. But I remember him telling the story of uh, Frank Sinatra and some of the Brat Pack would go to his dad's place, um, Eddie's Lounge. Yeah. Now, um, he was too big to actually sing there at Eddie's Lounge, but he, they may have been coming to... Uh, go sing somewhere else, but th- but they would um, relax and enjoy over at Eddie's Lounge. Yeah. It's just somebody else told me, and it may have been Carl DeCapo, and I, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but that they were walking home one night from closing the restaurant, and they saw this guy kind of standing outside the uh, the door, like a back door of a hotel, smoking a cigarette with a hat on and a coat, and walked by, and it was Sinatra, who was just standing out there all by himself, deep in thought, smoking a cigarette. Um so, yeah, it was, you know, I got close at Caesar's Palace to meet him, but then I got kicked oh. out. Yeah, so on this show, so I've been doing this since January 14th, and I have one regret. My, my well, I have a lot of regrets. <laughs> okay, my, my, my single biggest regret is that I wish I had started this show three months earlier. Because when I finally came up, I told, uh, told my wife, Sherry, I said, I really want to do this. And I talked to Toby, and Toby Tobin helped me pull this off because yeah. he had the contacts and they, um, they would actually listen to me. But the very first person I tried to get on my show was Carl DeCapo. Carl, yeah. Because it's, you know, I was thinking of Italian Gardens, you know, set the, sets the tone. And uh, Jasper helped me try to get a hold of him. And then we got a hold of uh, John David, his son, right. and said that, well, I don't think he can do the show at this time because he caught COVID in November. Mm. And he hasn't, he hasn't recovered yet. Right. And so I was like, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait till later when he gets wetter, uh, better. And he passed away during the summer. Right. So I never got him on my show, and it's just I regret that because it's just he was such a huge part of Kansas City. Absolutely, you know I remember hearing stories, you know, hear him tell stories, you know, on Mike Murphy's show, and he was uh, he was a community activist in Kansas City. Right. He was, and I've heard stories about you know the big table at Italian Gardens, you know that that he had a large table set up that people could go eat. If you were eating alone, you go sit at the table, so right. you're so you're part of the family. There are just there are so many things in town, and he's one of the people that without him and his influence wouldn't be what they are today. The Liberty Memorial is one of them. Yeah, uh, a lot of just so many things that he touched in his life that he made work or made better or got back on the right track. Yeah, um, and uh, he was one of a really warm, wonderful guy. And there there are great people in Kansas City to this day who do great things and who are, in my opinion, legendary. Uh, you know, Johnny Dare, who works in this very building, he's yeah. legendary. I, yeah. And I think the world of Johnny, I think he's one of the best people in the world. But um, there are people there. We've lost so many. Yeah. Uh, like Murphy and Bill Grigsby, who is a, a wonderful man to me and my family and Carl. And, uh, you know, th- that generation has moved on. And there, I think we we're lucky to have a show like yours, because then, like we said in the quote, as long as we're talking about him. Right. They're still alive. It, Mike Murphy, if if he were still around, he hated publicity. He was an introvert. Yeah. Hated attention. But I honestly believe he would have done my show because I share, we share a love of Kansas City. Well, he would have done And that, he would absolutely. have gone, uh, his only condition was be, to not talk about himself, yep. but to tell stories of other people. Absolutely. And, you know, and uh, Bill Grigsby would have done it. And all you would have had to say yeah. is, hi, Bill. And you yeah. wouldn't have had to talk the rest oh, of the yeah. hour. Yeah, I've had a few of those. <laughs> but he... Um, they uh, they just made I, they were very nice to me as a young man who just got here. They all were really good to yeah. me, 
and uh, David Lawrence, another great legendary radio figure that yeah. has passed away. Uh, incredibly n nice, warm people who really made Kansas City special. All right, I want to take a moment here. So all the listeners out there that, that share our sentiment of keeping those stories and memories alive, um, come by the bakery. Come by Best Regards Bakery and Cafe in Overland Park. You can look it up, find out where I'm at. Come and talk to me. If you know some of these people that deserve to have their stories told, and it's for our benefit to hear those, come come and tell me and help me get a hold of these people. Yeah. Because it's um, it's fascinating. We'll give them the whole hour just to share stories. Well, so these, I'll tie these two two of your good people that you've mentioned together, okay. Mike Murphy and Marilyn May. And this, oh, yeah. this goes to Mike's um, aversion to being, his, he's really a shy guy, his aversion to being in the public eye too yep. much. And uh, he loved Marilyn. Marilyn loved Mike. She was on his show all the time. Yep. Um, and she would be in, she's not in town as often as she used to be. Uh, but when she would be in town fairly often, she would always say, now, Mike, come to this show. And he would go, okay, I'll, I'll come. Well, he never would go. And so she would sometimes introduce him from the stage, and he wouldn't be there because he wasn't going to show up. <laughs> yeah. And she used to tell me, it drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. He'll tell me he's going to be there, and he doesn't come and doesn't show up. And I think Murphy just thought, I don't want to have everybody looking at me, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but the sweetest thing of all, and Marilyn would probably be mad at me for telling you this, but... Toward the end of Mike's life, she was one of the people that would go to his door, knock on it, and leave him something to eat. I mean, she would, nobody knew it. She didn't do it for any reason other than that they had been oh. friends forever. And she'd go and then leave it and go. Because she knew he didn't want to talk to anybody. He didn't want to see anybody. But she wanted him to know he was thought of. And here, here's a uh, pie or here's something. Yeah. yeah, pretty nice. Nice people. There's a reason she's a legend. There's a reason she's he something. was a legend. All right, so... Can I ask you, did you get to, to see Marilyn May or talk to her when she was just yeah, in town? How yeah. did you get in to do that? The, uh, well, I, I don't You're know. You're a bigger hotshot than I thought no. you were. She, we, I've known her a very long time. Um, the first time I think I met her, I was doing, she was doing a concert at Johnson County Community College, and she hadn't been, I want to say she hadn't been performing in town much at that time. This is like 35, well, it's a long time ago, many, many years ago. And so I went out, and I'd never met her before, and uh, I played, I don't play piano well, but for the story, I played this a little bit of um, Look to the Rainbow, and she sang just a little bit of it and uh, um, for the story. And so we talked a little bit, and then we went to that performance. And then um, over the years, I just interviewed her a lot on my show, and then we, you know, my oldest son, when he graduated from high school, she knew, knew my kids. Uh, and my oldest son, when he graduated, uh, I said she was invited to his little party. And she got there, and she said, well, let's do some music. So I would play the piano, and she'd sing, and all these teenagers would dance to Marilyn May uh, <laughs> as she's singing. Um, and uh, she's about the same. She and my mom, I think, were born in the same year. And they I don't know that they ever met. I'm not sure they ever met. But they had this bond because they'd you know, tell Marilyn hello for me, and she'd say, tell your mom, is your mom okay? How's your mom? And so... Just over the years, we became very close, and uh, I'd call her every now and then and check on her. And uh, she, uh, when she's in town, we'd try to see each other, even if it's only briefly. So that when I knew she was coming to the Folly, um, I made sure that we got our tickets, and we went over and saw her. And then uh, her wonderful guitarist, Rod Fleeman, I saw him after the show, and I said, Is, how's Marilyn? And he said, well, come on. And so we went back and oh. visited with her. But she... Uh, um, 
just a real she's just a great person and and her daughter is spectacular and we uh we just really hit it off and i interviewed her an awful lot over the years yeah. and i think she always felt comfortable when we would talk oh she was amazing that was a wonderful what show a show you know and it's um 95 years old yeah unbelievable to a two and a half hour show with maybe a 10 minute intermission yeah. did the stood the entire time yep and it was just um so um i, I, I that's what i love about Kansas city you know, I don't know if there's a lot of people that can share stories in New York City about Marilyn May. You know, yeah, everybody in Kansas City has one problem. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, without a <laughs> doubt. I mean, she lived across the street from Jasper, and I know people that um, her daughter went to uh, Shawnee Mission West. Yeah. You know, and they she would she would go do a concert there to fundraise for some some function over and every at the high school. Concert that she does in town, she'll mention the Colony Steakhouse, and oh yeah, invariably there's still a few people who remember that. Oh yeah. I mean, I, that's I, I just love Kansas City. All right, for the listeners out there, it's um, I, I, this is one of those days I wish I had a two-hour show. But for the listeners out there, if you know some people that we need, I need to have on this show so we can all hear the stories, let me know. Come by and see us the best regard. Some of the people that I have planned for the next, well, I've, uh, over the next five or six weeks, depending on Missouri football, I've got Jack Fiorella that's going to be coming in, Max Floyd. Oh, Max is great. Remember him? Um, he's going to he's going to come in on the show from yep. uh, KY one hundred and two back yep. then. That so, so my show last week, I or two weeks ago, we did uh, totally open calls, and one person said, "I really miss this restaurant. Um, it's called Cindy's Bedspread." She said they had the most amazing hamburgers. Wow! And this was back in the seventies, and it's um. She goes, "I I have no idea." I said, "Why? What's the name?" She goes, "I don't know." So then, about uh, fifteen minutes later, a guy calls in. He goes. I used to own Cindy's bedspread. How about that? And so, yeah. And so, um, so I got his phone number off caller ID. So I called him this week. <laughs> so he's going to be coming on my show in the How next two, three that? weeks to tell the story about Cindy's bedspread and Excellent. where the name come from. Ruby's Soul Food. I'm going to do a show on that. And Bob Walkenhorst. Yeah, I like Bob a lot. Uh, you know, he's going to come on my show. Yeah, so I got to work out the timing. He's fantastic. I mean, he's the, again, he's kind of the spirit of Kansas City. Yeah. His music is amazing, and his uh, I think it's his daughter who's quite an amazing talent in her own I idea. did not know that. I think so. Here I, in Kansas City? Yeah, I think so. I okay. might be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm almost Oh, I, sure. that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. I mean, he he still sings and does concerts. Uh, no, no concert's too small for him. Yeah, he's great. I mean, because he loves his craft. Yeah. No, that's a great lineup. Good yeah, so that'd be good. So so if all the, uh, the listeners out there, if you know some people that worked at some of these old restaurants, come get them um Bring me the information, introduce me to them, and I'll bring them on the show. Yeah. Another thing that's wonderful about Kansas City and restaurants in particular is the history in some of the buildings where the restaurants yeah. exist. Like Milwaukee Deli, is, we live downtown, and that's one of our favorite places to go. And the guy that runs it is great, and the food is great. But the history of that venue is is really neat, too. So that's another part of the whole thing is the history of the buildings that some of these places exist in now. And I'm going to do a little bit of that when Fred Broski was on. the The subject of Showarama came up, yeah, and talking about that. And so I, I want to do a show on that. A lot of people do not; they're not aware of the history of the film industry in this town. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, all the major studios had buildings, and they you can still see them. Yep. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do another one with I'm um, talking about Disney. Yeah, that's going to be timely because at Union Station yep. coming up next year uh, will be this Disney 100, and it's going to be spectacular. I think yeah. it opens in May, uh, and that is going to be an amazing, amazing thing for Kansas City and the connection uh, to I, – I knew – I didn't know, but I interviewed Roy Disney Jr. years ago who looked just like his Uncle Walt and would walk around Disneyland, and oh. people would go, 
Mr. Ditton thinking it was Walt, even though Walt had been dead for many years. Yeah. And Roy Jr. would always take a picture and, you know, play along and let them <laughs> think they met, you know, because they did meet a Mr. Yeah. Disney. They met Roy Jr. Yeah. But it's going to be spectacular at uh, Union Station. The, yeah, that's a perfect, perfect kind of topic right there. Well, what I, because um, they're, they're remodeling and resurrecting the building, you know, the original building. You know, yeah. that's been an effort that started back in the Mike Murphy days. Yep. And so they finally got some uh, major funding from the federal government and some well, other things. Because that has been an ongoing problem to yeah. try to get that thing back in shape. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, so the gentleman's in charge of that. Um, he's agreed to come on the show, but I, Butch, I, that's Butch Rigby. Yep, Butch. Yep. But I got to do it on a non-Saturday. But if I can get him and George Guastello on, maybe in January, or February, talk about it. That'd in the, be spectacular. The show. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can get that one going too. But yeah, it's um all right. So we're coming up close to the end of the hour. Yes, sir. It's, uh, the time has flown. Is there anything, because I, I'm not very good at interviewing. You're great at it. Is there anything it. I didn't ask you about that people deserve to know? <laughs> well, considering nobody knew who I was, I don't think they need to know anything, do they? <laughs> All right. So somebody here just sent me a text. I wanted Joel to know how much he helped me through my pregnancy. I was very sick with night sickness and peri- periodically morning sickness. And she said, your humor Always made her laugh and got her through some tough times. Well, that's nice to hear. Thank you so much. You know, and there's, uh, Joel, there are thousands of people out there that are like me that were moved and impacted by the way you conducted yourself every single day. Well, that's nice to hear. That's very nice of her. I hope everything went well and worked out great. Yeah. You know, it's, we're not, we all can't write a uh, a little note note to you for like Frank Sinatra, but... <laughs> But, you know, it's, what makes us isn't a single big thing that somebody famous does. It's somebody like you and Fred Broski doing what you do, your magic every day and changing changing our lives. Well, you're doing it here. Well, you're doing well, it here on so, Saturday. So, Joel Nichols, I have to tell you, thank you for that. Thank you. It is very much appreciated. And you had a great impact. And I imagine you're going to hear from a few people this week that heard the show and, and will say something to you also. All right, uh, be sure to everybody out there, the listeners, be sure to come by and see us at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. We're at 119th in Glenwood and Overland Park. That's two blocks east of Metcalf. We're across from Cheesecake Factory next door to Johnny's. Now, I have a, I, I'm going to share something personal here I don't usually do. I have a big birthday coming up this week. It's going to be my 60th. And for the first time ever, this birthday is it's, it's actually a little bit of a challenge for me. I'm struggling with it. But I decided last night that I'm going to attack this head on. And so if you do not get my email right now, be sure to go to makethemsmile.com and go to the top left-hand corner and sign up for the email. One way or another, I'm going to make this an amazing week. And instead of uh, shying away from it, hiding it, I'm just going to embrace that. So be sure to come by the bakery. Sherry and I, we're always there to visit with you and also hear your ideas for future shows. You have some great ideas. Lastly, don't forget that all of our shows are available on all podcast platforms. Sam, thank you very much for standing there and listening to the whole show. And thank you, Joel. I appreciated that. My pleasure to be here. And I just opened the box from Best Regards, and it looks just too good. All right. Thank you, everybody. This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memories.